to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with Arif Hassan, also known as Mr. Consensus Board. Uh, Arif, can I ask you a question to start off? Honestly, I have never used the word consensus board so many times in my life, maybe not ever until this year. Uh, and then all of a sudden, now I'm saying consensus board all the time. And on the internet, they're saying consensus board all the time. I think it's really interesting how your idea to grab all of these different mocks, put them in a bucket and then PFF to look at it and say, Oh my gosh, there's actually something here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really interesting because it's kind of changed the way we look at it because I think that before it was sort of like, well, I like this pick. I don't like this pick. What are you going to do? Who knows? Who's right? right yeah. Who's yeah. Say? And now there's actually a way of evaluating and saying, Oh, so reaching on that guy was a problem. I think it's uh, it's cool to see. Yeah, no, I think it's fun, especially because, like like you said, everybody has all of these different opinions on draft prospects, but you never really get a read on the like the temperature in the room, right? Like a lot of people are like, man, I, I hate Trayvon Walker. What an awful idea to pick him. And you have him ranked eight, right? Which isn't to say that you don't hate the idea of picking him. I hated the idea of picking him first, right? But it's, it, it puts everything like into a certain context, right? Because you're not saying that you think Trayvon Walker is going to be a bad player. You've ranked him eight, right? You're not saying he could be a bad player right and and having all of this information together really gives us a good understanding of kind of where the draft community at large you know sits on on a number of players because you know the thing, things i found over the years is that you know hey man the draft community is like bagging on josh allen and yeah they, they definitely got that one wrong but it, it's not like they didn't have him outside of the top 100 right they had him as a second rounder right so um it, it gives us a lot of context for the way that we talk about a lot of these players. It allows players that just haven't had a ton of reasons to talk about them, have a moment to shine. Right. Because like, you know, if, if you're like the 20th ranked player, right. Um, and, but you're not polarizing it. If everyone agrees that you're the 20th ranked player, no one's going to talk about you. And so uh, when, when, you know, that player falls to like 30 or something and someone picks them, you could say, hey, that was a really good steal. Let's talk about that player. Why did he fall? So I, I think it's it's really nice to get a read and hold everyone accountable, honestly, for um, kind of where where they, they rank players and, and how they talk about players and just kind of the overall feeling of, of what's happening with the draft. And I think we can also say to the teams, you guys should know this. Like You should know what the world at large thinks about your draft picks, because if you do violate the consensus board, then you're taking your life in your hands. I mean, I think yeah, you that, better be right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I mean, if you're the New England Patriots and you draft a guy that everybody thinks should be like a third round draft pick, then you better it better be Travis Frederick for you, who everybody hated. Right. I remember. And we remember those outliers. But at the same time, there are a lot of those reaches that end up you know, not working out very well. And I've just thought it was really interesting that. Uh, you know, when somebody drops, it's much harder to say who screwed yeah. up here. But yeah. when there's a reach, it's like, nah, don't do that. If the whole world <laughs> thinks the guy's not good and you do for some reason, you should be looking yourself in the mirror and saying, wait a minute, why is it that we love this guy? And everybody else is saying, no, 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 uh, that's not that, that type of pick. But you know, what's interesting about the Vikings is that their first two picks, the ones that will matter the most, did pretty well against the consensus board. Um, and so I, you know, look at the charts at the end of the day that say, Oh, the Vikings went against the consensus board overall, but um, they did so on their lesser valuable picks. The yeah. first two picks, the ones that will 
uh, you know, really determine the draft class as most first and second round picks do those ones. They actually got good value on. Yeah. You know, um, it, it always like, it's always tough because a lot of these, especially like the, the, the debriefs that you write or the, the post draft podcast or whatever, you'll talk a lot about these players and you go through them one by one. And if there's like eight picks in a draft and you hated the last four picks and you love the first four picks, that's a fantastic draft in your opinion, right? You, you like your opinion of that team's draft should be good, but it comes off really negative because, or even right. Because you, you hate, you liked four, you hated four. Um, and, uh, and, and you spend a lot of time talking about a player you dislike or whatever, or maybe they shouldn't have picked that player. And, and honestly, that that draft sounds like a B plus, and that's actually how I felt about the Vikings draft, right? I, I think I gave them a B B plus. I don't know, letter grades are made up, but um, I was like, overall, I'm positive. But I'm going to talk a lot about you know picking Ed Ingram, or I'm going to talk a lot about picking Ty Chandler. That didn't make any sense to me. I'm going to talk a lot about some of these later picks that you know I I didn't think were really smart picks, um, but they nailed the first two. And the, the, if you're going to pick two to nail, those are the ones. Right. And so to me, that's that's an overall like I I don't know, like give them like a C on their on their grade three or their day three draft. And I was like, hey, that's like 10 percent of your grade. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's absolutely true. I mean, those are the bonus questions or something yeah. on the test. Uh, and that's where like a Caleb Evans, for example. Now, moving up to get him, I thought I'm not really sure I understand. This. You guys yeah. better really love him. But at the same time, I just can't make too much of this because any sort of swing that you guys see something and like on a fourth round corner, by all means, Fine. go ahead. Right. Yeah. Because I think that, and this may, you tell me if this is actually different, but I think that the closer the prospects get to each other, which is later on, the harder it is for everybody at large to rank them. And you're also putting so much focus from the draft analysis world on the top hundred, top yeah. 50 yeah. that you're telling me that whatever website watched a lot of a Caleb Evans to determine probably not, but did they watch a lot of Trayvon Walker? Did they watch a lot of Lewis scene? Of course they did because those are the guys that are going to matter most in this draft. So, I mean, how could you possibly watch two, three years of a Caleb Evans yeah. play, right? <laughs> versus, versus a real scout whose job is actually to watch two, three years of a Caleb Evans play. That's all they do. Yeah, and and they have to like mark in the scouting report which games they watched live, which games they watched tape of, and you know you always get at least four, right? Like, and and usually you get like twelve. Um, yeah, and and I I noticed that because like a, the I have a variant score in the consensus board to see how much you know polarization or how much disagreement and rankings that a player has, and you know Trayvon Walker was was up there, he had a high variance. Uh, Nicobe Dean had a very low variance, which is very funny that he fell. You know, unfortunate, obviously, for him, but it's always interesting. Like, everyone agrees he's the 24th best player, you know, for some reason. Um, and no, he just all the way to like 83 or whatever it was. Um, but, you know, I've, I've got a variance score, and I think that that's like really good context because if you reach on a guy with a high variance score, then then it's very understandable. Like, you understand that, you know, there are a lot of people that are really high on this guy. So I guess it makes sense that you would do that. Um and one of the things I found, actually, I found it right away back when I started doing this in 2014, is that you have to adjust for 
rank, right? You have to adjust for the fact that we're at the 150th spot or the 100th spot instead of the second spot. Otherwise, you it's meaningless how much variance is at the top of the draft because it gets overwhelmed by all the, all of the dis- disagreements and rankings that occur at 150. Because the, the, like you said, the differences between players are small and the amount of time invested in watching those players is significantly smaller. And so if you just happen to catch a good game of your 150th ranked player, someone else caught a bad game, that guy is 200 now on that board. That's 50 ranks. That's so huge. And it's like, you I mean, you caught a slightly different game, right? Like they had a cold or something. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it, like, it, so when a team does that in like the fourth or fifth round, it's just like, well, it's not the 500th ranked player. I get it. I see where this is coming from. Right. Uh, so before we play a couple little games here that I have for you, one is a draft grading system that only the deepest state of analytics could really break down. Okay. It's a survey that'll figure out what you actually think. You think you think it's a B or B plus, but we'll see what you really think. Um, okay, but, sure. but I, I wanted to ask you about the trade charts because it's just, it's become comical at this point where it's like, like five, right? Right. Right. Like <laughs> this person's trade chart thinks you're an idiot. This person's trade chart thinks you're brilliant. I mean, how are, how is anyone supposed to know this is, this used to be like with offensive line play before PFF graded the guys. Yeah. They got like 26 starts. He's great. Right. Pro Bowl (laughs) must be awesome. I guess. Right. And then, and then other teams, they'd be voting for who makes the Pro Bowl. And they're like, is that guy good? I don't even remember. We didn't play him this year. Pro Bowl. Like, so no one knew who was good. And now we have Peyton Manning wouldn't have a bad left tackle. Right. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Only all of them. Uh, But, uh, Jimmy Johnson was supposed to give us all of the answers and then PFF and Brad Spielberger and Jason Fitzgerald is supposed to give us the, all the answers. And then some guy who shares a name with a left-handed pitcher for the twins is supposed to give us all the answers. Did they win any of these trades or not? I have no idea. At this point. <laughs> so I, the, the way I think about it, because like there's five, right? The way I think about it is that there's like two groups essentially of trade charts uh, and they happen to be analytics and traditional, but really I, I think about it like in terms of, what does the market tend to think of, of, of draft picks and trades? What is the market for draft picks? And so that's the first set of trade cards. That's Jimmy Johnson and, and Rich Hill's trade chart, which is based off of historical draft values um, or historical trade values based off of what teams actually did. And then what has been the outcome of those trades, right? Because Spielberger's and Fitzgerald's chart is based off of the contract value, the second contract. Um, Chase Stewart's is based off of, you know, pro football reference approximate value. Uh, and PFFs is based off of wins above replacement. And those are how those draft picks did. You have to smooth out the chart a little bit, do some fancy math, but how those draft picks did at those spots. And so then you evaluate based off of, well, is historically based off of what second rounders have done versus historically what fifth rounders have done, the difference in their value is equal to like a third rounder or something like that, right? And so that's what you... Um, th- that, that's what those two groups are. And what's really interesting is with the Vikings trade with the lions, um, the, the two groups split perfectly, right? The traditional, um, uh, mar- like the, by market, the Vikings got awful value, but based off of how the players do at all of these spots, whether it's contract or approximate value or their PFF grades or whatever, the, the, the Vikings got a little bit more out of the trade. And so it's kind of interesting, but like, it's so ridiculous looking at all the different trade charts. I, I can only think of it like there's, there's and, and if and if and if those two groups have disagreement internally, then it doesn't matter. Then no one won the trade. We're fine. 
Yeah, right. Uh, as for me, as soon as we have the names of the players, throw out the charts because then we know what actually happened and we can study it. But, you know, we can take our guesses based on who they got and then we can watch it for the future. But um, so the Vikings get a very good safety prospect to some people, the Dallas Cowboys, since they always seem to leak their board, right. really liked. Um, but you know, still ends up going 32 and a cornerback who has to stay healthy, but could be very good. And they give away a player who could be potentially great. And that's what it comes down to as I, I mean, we all want to have a first guess. Um, but what will really determine it is how good were you guys at evaluating Jamison Williams? Cause that's who was going there. It was either him or Kyle Hamilton or Jordan Davis. So if any of those guys become stars, then we get to go back. If Lewis seen does not or Andrew Booth does not. And then we go, ah, didn't win that one. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's really how we have to do it because at, when you have a, a good case for both sides of it, of like, well, they need bodies, they need human beings, they need draft picks, players. But then on the other side, they also need great players because they have one great player who is under the age of 30. Uh, I mean, I, well, Brian O'Neill is a, is a really good player. Sure. But one, yeah. but one great player. And that's Justin Jefferson on the whole roster under the age of 30. Your other great players, Phelan, Harrison Smith, Eric Kendricks are not the best versions of themselves already at this point and won't be getting better. And if you want to win a Super Bowl, I mean, how many great players did the Rams have that you know, they're probably like what, five, six, seven great players. I mean, that's probably what you need if you're going to win a Super Bowl. And so where are you getting those? Are you getting them at 32? Are you getting them at 42? Are you getting them at 59? Like probably not unless you get really lucky, which, you know, sometimes does happen. So I guess that's kind of the way that I look at it. Like it's appropriate to go both directions. It's appropriate to want more players. It's also appropriate to try to want a star, which I think that's my theory on the Jimmy Johnson in part is like old, old James G James J. He was like, <laughs> Stars win championships. How would I know? I'm Jimmy Johnson coaching <laughs> Troy Aikman. And, you know, and it's a, where do they come from? Usually the top of the draft. So I guess there's there's that push and pull that I guess everybody's been trying to, you know, calculate the math on. Yeah. One, one thing that um, I wouldn't say frustrates me, but it, it doesn't seem to be accounted for in some of the outcome based charts is you can only put 11 players on the field at a time. Right. And, and so if you've got like nine of those positions, like, I mean, the Vikings have a lot of those positions on offense, largely settled, right? And so the only way you can improve those positions in a meaningful way that'll help you win games is to get a star, right? And so if you've got a fairly good team, you should be comfortable taking some losses by these analytics charts because the gains you would have had would have been in the third and fourth round guys that are not going to see the field that often in your system anyway. And so you have to be very cognizant of what the constraints on your roster are before you decide, hey, when I add up all of the wins above replacement in the PFF chart of these picks, it's 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 really high. And it's like, well, yeah, man. I mean, like that that guy is a sub package linebacker um, that plays on third down for like 200 snaps and he's good at it. Um, so his wins above replacement on those snaps is like good. But you don't need that guy. Who cares? Right. <laughs> so like you need you need a starting linebacker go get that guy right like so it's like that um you, you need to understand that there's going to be a limit to the number of players you can put on the field and so a limit to the the types of value you'll get out of charts that value having more draft picks um and so yeah i mean like do, do the vikings get you know 
to the 2017 NFC Championship game without, you know, Harrison Smith and Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs just being crazy good at what they do? No, right? Like if, if they had three fourth round picks equivalent to what Harrison Smith does, they don't get there, right? And so you do need to grab some guys that are going to swing games for you. And where the Vikings think they are, you kind of think, well, you, you think you're about to compete. You think you're going to win a division. You think you're going to win in the playoffs. Maybe grab a star. I don't know. Folks, while there is plenty of classic football gear to check out at Soda Stick, the hockey playoffs are beginning, and you can jump on board with Soda Stick's amazing hockey designs. Dollar Bill, Krill, Moose, Madano, the old North Stars logo, they've got everything for you for a deep playoff run. Hats, shirts, hoodies, and prints for your fan cave. Go to SodaStick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K. Dot com. Use the code Purple Insider for fifteen percent off. That's how I felt. I felt like if you have two stars at the receiver position, or if you can get your next Harrison Smith, who becomes great. Um, I don't know so much about Jordan Davis. I think that's kind of a big swing with him on the. That one's traits. interesting. Yeah, that one's interesting. I mean, they're hoping he is Linval Joseph, which is very difficult to be. But let's just say the other two guys are a little more projectable. If you can pair, my thing is kind of coming back to common sense. When it's when all the data can't figure out what it's doing, let's come back to common sense on this. And the common sense is let's look at the twelfth overall picks. A lot of them are really great players. Let's look at the impact of having multiple star wide receivers historically if you have three it's hard to stop go back to commanders 1991 man like look look at look at washington with those three receivers way back in the day then look at the vikings then look at that like there's only a handful examples when teams can put three great receivers on the field and it's usually unstoppable so is that guy this year's super bowl right or teams that are built around having three great receivers in the field now one of them had an injured receiver right but like the whole idea was that you'd have Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and Odell Beckham. And this other team happens to have T Higgins and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. Like Christ. <laughs> like, right, right. Right. Well, and that was, and that was Cincinnati too. Cincinnati made this bet that if we draft this amazing wide receiver and now he was especially amazing, but if we draft this amazing receiver, then that's going to be worth more than the tackle that everyone wants us to take to protect Joe Burrow. Burrow got sacked a gazillion times and still just threw bombs to his great receiver (laughs) and had people open all the time. I think that really, it really did surprise me because I thought that Kevin O'Connell coming from the Rams would push for more receivers. And he just didn't like that. Clearly that was not the case that they would push for more receivers, but you had Robert Woods and Cooper cup already. And you said one more, I mean, even going into the season, they had Deshaun Jackson. They drafted Tutu Atwell in the second round. Like some of these didn't work out, but I mean, it seemed like they were always the intent was there. Right, yeah. They were sure. always saying one more weapon, one more weapon. And so now your big bet is that, uh, Jesse Davis and Chris Reed will improve your interior offensive line and that Kirk cousins will be a different human being when he has a coach who pats him on the back rather than yelling at him. So I, you know, I don't know, like that's, that's just, <laughs> I bet I, I personally, I always bet on roster over everything else. It's just mm-hmm. players talent over. Was it this coach's fault? Was it that coach's fault? That's generally how I see it. But, uh, well, let's, let's take the survey And then, and I have not tried this out. So if it's a total disaster, then we'll laugh at it. But if it works great, it'll look deep into your soul. Okay. So I have five questions, one through five, and this will tell you what you think of the Vikings draft. Okay. All right. Play along at home, folks. Okay. 
How bad was the secondary last year? One is extremely bad. Five is good. One and a half. Is there, or, or do I get digits? Like, or do I get uh, non-integers? No, not decimal points. Don't make God. this hard on me. I, look, that's who I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to round up to two then. You went with okay. two if you're saying one All and a right. half. All right. All right. Next two. question. How bad was the Vikings offensive coaching last year? One is extremely bad. Five is very, very good. Two. Okay. So poor Clint Kubiak just taking strays. Uh, let's see. Do you care about the consensus board? <laughs> I, One is no. And five is yes. A lot. At five. Yeah, I know. It pays you, my bills. Right. Made it. Uh, <laughs> I knew what the answer would be there. Okay. Do you think the analytics and trade charts or uh, I'm sorry, do you think the analytics trade charts or the Jimmy Johnson chart is more accurate? One is the analytics chart. Five is the Jimmy Johnson. One. Going analytics all the way. Okay. Do you think that teams should draft only quarterbacks, defensive ends, receivers, and corners? If you do not think that it's one, if you do think that it's closer to five, four. Okay, let's add this up and see what we got. All right. So two, four, nine, 10, 13. So you give the Vikings a B for hey. their dr- which is exactly what you gave them. <laughs> I, I mean, let's let's go through these questions real quick though. The secondary was indeed stupendously bad last year. We can all agree on that. And that's where I want to give them credit for what they did with the first two picks. It's necessary. If you want to win, you have to stop the pass. So even right there, we have to say. It's been horrific the last two years. You need some guys who can do stuff in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's yeah. And, and they, especially like they need like long-term answers too. They can't just keep signing Patrick Peterson for progressively less money on one year deals. So uh, they, they need to have a long-term answer and, and eventually a long-term answer with Harrison Smith, which I think what the scene pick does. I forgot to go through the, the grading system was if you, if you scored lower, it was a higher grade. So yeah. five through nine was an a 10 through 14 B 15 through 19 C and 20 through 25 is a D or lower. So um, how bad was the offensive of coaching last year? This is the biggest bet they're making. I think mm-hmm. that it was more of a three than a one. Um, but you know, it, it's one of those situations where it's like, how, what was the, what was the, driving force behind the offensive coaching versus like what was, you know, the ability to, to coach offensively. And I think that those are because Mike Zimmer had an influence on the offensive coaching. I dropped it. Right. Because yeah, I honestly, I think the offensive line coaching wasn't awful or the wide receiver coaching was great. You know, the play calling was whatever, but that was influenced by Mike Zimmer. So I think there was like a Mike Zimmer made the coaching worse than it already was, which was maybe average. Yeah, I think he terrified Clint Kubiak. I think he was a frightened, scared man because the first couple of weeks we spotted some things where he went, ooh, like that's kind of interesting, Clint Kubiak. Yeah, some motions, 11 personnel actually, and then gone. (laughs) And then gone. And then they were using tight ends that we had never heard of and didn't even know were on the roster. So we talked about consensus board and the charts, um, but the positional value here, I didn't ask you what you thought of that. I tend to lean like you that teams probably should only draft quarterbacks, defensive ends, <laughs> receivers, and corners because of the, uh, you know, if the outcomes, it, I think another player has to be great if you're going to draft out of those other positions. So uh, how do you feel about where they went with positional value overall? 
I, I think that they were basically, I, I actually do think safety is an important position. I, I think that they kind of straddle the line between kind of traditional thinking and analytics thinking on positional value, because traditional thinking, it's like the closer you are to the ball, the better, unless you're a center because they have brains and we don't want that. <laughs> um, so, so like, I get it. Right. But like, no, that's not what matters. What matters is who impacts the game the most. Uh, and so having, having like linebackers just, sorry, they're trained pigs. That's what Justice Muscato always says. Um, if you have a great one, like, I mean, Kendricks is nearly great, right? So that matters, right? But for the most part, you know, they are replaceable if you've got good defensive linemen and that's already included in the in the position of value stuff we talked about anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I think that they kind of straddled the line there. Um, but, you know, taking, you know, reaching on a guard in the third round, getting a linebacker, uh, in the third round, or I guess the guard was the second round, which yep. was the yep. even more concerning part. Um, yeah, that like they they did okay on prioritizing positional value. Right, corners corners would be good. I I entirely have changed the way I look at the positional value just to be based on who the league pays, because you not only need guys who are really good at football that can win you games, but you also need cheap guys so you can have good players yeah. elsewhere that you paid for. And uh, if you're getting $20 million less than the top player on a rookie contract, that's really good for you. The quarterback thing exists on all of those positions that I just named. And uh, that's where it makes, I think, a huge difference. So uh, let me just run through this real quick for those playing at home once again, just real quick. How bad was the secondary? Bad is one, good is five. How bad was the coaching last year? One is bad, five is good. Do you care about Arif's consensus board? Please tweet him if you don't. Uh, one is no, five is yes. And uh, do you think the analytics charts or the J uh, Jimmy Johnson chart is more accurate? One is toward analytics. Five is toward the JJ. And uh, do you think that teams should only draft quarterbacks, defensive ends, receivers, and corners? The lower you got, the better the grade is for the draft. So uh, now here's the other thing I wanted to ask. you. We've gone all the way through. We're at the end of the road of the offseason. There are players who could be added. Um, but, you know, usually they end up turning out very Brelindy if you're adding them at this point. Well, Greg Jennings-ish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although, I mean, they almost, with Everson, the way he was playing, it's like they <laughs> almost right. got yeah. one of the biggest steals, very unique circumstance there. But the best you can do is really just some role player that's not really changing the outcome of the season. And I, I want to know from you, if we went back now knowing where everyone was drafted and everything else, and we imagined the start of the off season again and all the different directions they could have gone. Like what would have been in your mind, the most ideal in comparison, if you were conjuring up, here's what the free agents signed for. Here's what they did with the cap. Here's what they did in the draft versus the absolute best possible utopia football off season for the Vikings for their now and later, um, what what do you think that would have looked like instead? I mean, like my brain instantly went to maybe they should have traded for Tyreek Hill, but I don't know <laughs> if that actually would have. <laughs> um, yeah, that one's because the because the Vikings, I, the players that they signed, they signed for like a reasonable value. It's just like what they prioritized in free agency that was like the primary concern. And honestly, um, if they weren't going to go offensive line in the draft, which I mean, I guess technically they did with Ingram. But um, 
they should have signed a center, right? Because I mean, th- those those are not too expensive. You could have found a good one. I guess technically there are some still out there. We'll see how excited Vikings fans get when they sign JC Treader to a veteran minimum deal, and everyone thinks that he's as good as he was, even though he's like he costs less than a million dollars against the cap. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, yeah, they, if they're not going to go with a with a center and and they hate their center enough that they're not going to give him a fifth year option, which fair, do so. Well uh, earned. Yeah. Um, yeah, those two games were so good. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, they should have signed a center. I think that that market was fine. Um, but honestly, like if, if we presume that the Viking strategy is good, right. That they should double down, right. And extend Kirk cousins and all that. Then, um, I don't know. Like it's, I'm trying to remember what the cornerback value was. Cause I don't think Shannon Sullivan was a very good signing. Um, but for the most part, they read the board pretty well in the draft. Um, they shouldn't have drafted at Ingram. Maybe they should have drafted um, Dylan Parham before the Raiders could. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough because I have to like condense an entire off season and and come up with like the best out. And I don't know the answer to that because I don't remember everybody who signed everywhere. Well, you have an answer, right? So th- think about it. Think about it this way. It's like if we went back to stage one of the offseason and we imagined a totally different direction that they had gone, one that we thought was possible, like not they should have gone back in time and got Steve Young. Then they would win. Like, not that. But I mean, but I mean, so like, for example, there's a couple of different ways you could look at this. Like if they had traded Kirk Cousins in imagination land and then they and they could have traded for like Russell Wilson or something or in more reasonable imagination land, oh, okay. Baker okay. Mayfield or drafted sure. Kenny Pickett or moved on from Thielen, Harrison Smith. Like I, I should have phrased it in that way. Like if they had gone a bottom. Oh, okay. It, right? Yeah. They should, they should have traded Harrison Smith. They should have explored trade options for Eric Kendricks. I mean, I like him a lot, but he's a $10 million linebacker that a lot of teams will find a lot of value in. Um, I mean, he's a great locker room guy, fantastic off the field guy. I don't see why he wouldn't be worth a lot in a trade, even though you kind of want some of those in your locker room. Um, Adam Thielen absolutely should have been traded away in that scenario. Yeah. I mean, if people are acquiring players via trades, which is exactly what happened this entire off season, um, if people are open to that, then yeah, absolutely. Trade Harrison Smith to a team that needs, uh, you know, a back end safety that can blitz. There's a lot of those teams that are on the on, on the brink of getting to the Super Bowl. Do the same thing with Eric Hendricks. Make some team pay for a linebacker. Do the same thing with that. Yeah, absolutely. They should have. And then they should have taken as many shots in the dark at young players in free agency, which is a tough sell if you're a good young player to go to a team that just traded away all their best players. So you really have to take shots in the dark. You can't just find good young players. They have to be players that can't leverage the fact that they're good. Right. So, so players that were like, you know, underutilized, like I think last season, Josh Reynolds to the Titans would have been a good example of that, where it's like, I don't know if it's not going to work out the tight, the, the, the Rams didn't play you for a reason, but everyone seems to like you. So let's, let's see what happens. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, I don't know. Um, And, and take a lot of those shots um, and, and see if you can find like, you know, some crazy athlete at the edge that didn't get a ton of play, like, or, or a super big receiver that was really good in college, but just was on the, on the practice squad for whatever, like Justin Watson. Right. Like, I, I think that finding as many young players, because if you hit on like two or three of them, you've done a fantastic job setting up your next quarterback. Right. Um, because the rest you can just get rid of because they're young players that nobody wanted. Right. 
Um, so yeah, no, they absolutely should trade. And then you have a ton of picks to work with, right? Because, you know, Harrison Smith might be a second or a third. Adam Thielen might be a third or a fourth. Eric Hendricks might be a second or a third. Maybe I'm overvaluing these guys a little bit, but you know, they can help the team win. Right. Um, and so with that, you can, uh, you know, draft Kenny Pickett or whoever, or, or you can trade those for a future first and say, Hey, we don't like the quarterbacks in this class, but man, the quarterbacks in the next class look pretty good. Let's trade for a future first and have a bunch of draft capital for that. And then draft around, you know, those guys that you just lost, except now they're on cheap contracts. So draft uh, a Kyle Hamilton or a Lucene to replace, you know, Harrison Smith draft, you know, you've got a couple of second round picks draft, uh, you know, Sky Moore, whoever to replace Adam Thielen draft, um, Nicobe Dean to replace Eric. I mean, Eric Hendricks and Nicobe Dean are, are often comp to each other, right? So you just just like use the second and third round picks to replace the players that you lost in the draft. Some of them won't work out because these players were excellent and you're drafting in the second or third round, but take as many shots as you can. Yeah, I think that's the ideal offseason if we allow the Vikings to blow it up, which I, you know, you and I both think that they should have. Right. So we can actually now compare what it fully looks like to what it might have looked like. Oh yeah. Right. This roster does not look like a 12 win roster to me now that we've uh, finished the process. I think that's a good point. Well, and and that's the threshold for if you want to be a Super Bowl contender, because I I looked back at all the teams that reached the Super Bowl since I forget when it was like 2000 or 1990. And there's some who make it on 11 games. There's a few that make it with fewer, including the Cincinnati Bengals this year. But normally your average team is at 12 wins and the lowest threshold is about 11. And so when we look at are you really competing for a Super Bowl? We have to say, can you be a 12 win team? And maybe that is actually 13 wins now with, right. uh, you know, the 17 game season. But since the Rams did it with 12, we'll just put it there. And no, you're not. So how can you get there? But also you can actually put names to this and say, would it have been better if? So like, would it have been better if, let's just say that it was Marcus Mariota quarterback because somebody signed him to be their bridge starter in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. If it's Jamison Williams wide receiver along with Justin Jefferson, if it's, you know, it wouldn't be Lewis seen as your starting safety, but let's just say you're drafting some other safety to pair with Cam Bynum and you're starting to rebuild that defense with the draft picks that you use, let's say two, three more draft picks, that kind of thing. Like, is this, does this have the better bones of a successful team at some point in the next three years than the ones that you have on the field? And I, we might be wrong about this, but I tend to think the answer is yes, because after you moved on from Mariota, or let's even say they traded Kirk for Baker Mayfield, which apparently Baker Mayfield thought they were going to do. Um, but you would only keep him for one year. You move on from Baker Mayfield. You go to quarterback X that you're drafting in 2023 at the top of the draft. And that feels to me closer than it does right now, where you're hoping for kind of the same thing that the previous regime is hoping for guys who were good several years ago being better. This, this feels like, especially with the divisions they're going to play that the best outcome might be very 2019 ish where the veterans stay healthy and the schedule just kind of falls the way that they really need it to fall. Yeah. I think if you project out, which like what pick area that you could have gotten for Baker uh, and a pick for Kirk, what you could have gotten for, Harrison Smith and Eric Hendricks and um, 
and Adam Thielen, and you graph that onto where those picks actually ended up going. So let's say you draft Jameson Williams at 12. Then you've got the Kirk Cousins pick, which maybe that's the middle of the second. Um, and and hey, maybe that's maybe that's Trey McBride. Maybe that's George Pickens, right? Now you've got a receiver to replace Adam Thielen. Now you're in the third or fourth round. Now you could get into Kobe Dean. Now you can get, um, you know, maybe whatever safety ends up falling there. Maybe like a Brian Cook or a JT Woods or some other super athlete that you think might be able to develop. Grab another receiver late. Uh, grab another edge rusher like an Epic Ketty, um, and you stack like those really tantalizing looking names that all these draft plate people have fallen in love with and talked about endlessly. And you say, Hey, what is a team with Jamison Williams and Jalen Petrie and George Pickens and Amari Barno or whatever edge rusher catches your eye or whatever? Um, and what, what does that, what does that draft class look to you for a team that doesn't yet have a quarterback and wants to next year? I think a lot of people would be like, that's, incredible what an environment you get to throw to jameson williams and justin jefferson and then the defense pitches it back to cam bynum and jalen petrie and you know this cornerback that you really like and uh you've got this edge rusher that you know you don't even have to put him on the field right away he's he's an edge rusher that'll take a little bit of time right and so let's do that let's let's develop that guy I, I, that is a much more exciting team for a for us to cover but i think b for vikings fans to like buy into right because it's just like yeah no we really believe that kirk cousins can take justin jefferson and I don't know, an Irv Smith that fantasy players are always talking about um, to, 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 you know, be a four or 5,000 yard season and 12 wins. And it's like, I don't, that doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't sit well. Well, part of it with Justin Jefferson, nobody in the NFL has more yardage over the last two years than Justin Jefferson. And the case is that it's going to be better. And like, I just think that's, I'm a little dubious about that. Like better, like better than one of the greatest starts <laughs> to a career ever. Like that's it. like, wow. Okay. I mean, it is a passing league, I guess, but I mean, that's a big ask for yeah. that guy to be driving it. It's really not that guy who was the issue for why you weren't getting <laughs> yeah. to, you know, it's like, no, we just need a more. Now. I mean, look, I, I said, you should be throwing it to him 10 times a game or she'd been put in jail. So like there is that, uh, and they didn't always do that in some of their losses, but like, it's really hard to say that someone could never be shut down for a week or two, um, throughout a season. So, uh, yeah, now here's a question though. How do we, uh, evaluate whomst is right about this as we go forward them or imagination land because it's very easy if they win eight games for us to be like aha we caught we told you <laughs> see uh but at the same time we don't really know if the imagination land would have worked out i think that it's a better process and i think that if the owners of this team had been not who they are that maybe they would have taken that route if say they were the Philadelphia Eagles owners or the Baltimore Ravens or so, someone. But um, I also think that it can be a little unfair to do. A, I told you so, unless you could kind of prove it. Um, so how, how will we judge it? Is it entirely on just, Hey, if you don't win 12 games, you were wrong and thumbs down, right? Like I, it, zero stars. Like what, how, how will how would you think of that? I, so I think that the, the typical, like, I think your response is usually fair, right? To say, hey, I'm going to need some benchmark by which I can evaluate this alternate reality that I've constructed for how you should have, you know, performed in, in the draft, right? And I, you could, like, in theory, say, hey, now that we've got this, like, look back, we can say, these are the guys I would have drafted. This is where I project the trade picks to be based off of the rumors that we were getting. Um, and I'll, I'll draft these guys. We'll see 
what these guys turn out to be at the end of two years and compare them to where the Vikings end up and say, which is a more reasonable scenario. Maybe, but that, that one is still, I think fraught with a lot of failure. I think instead the Vikings made a gamble on certainty against uncertainty. They're terrified of not knowing. Right. And that is what imagination land is, right? It's not knowing it's, it's, it's just assuming that maybe you can replace Harrison Smith with Brian Cook or whoever. It's just assuming that Jamison Williams will turn out, which we know like half of first round picks don't, right? It's assuming that a lot of these players will end up pretty good, right? And and we can't we can't know that. Um, I think in this case, it's actually it's 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 smart to just only take a look at how the Vikings executed on their current strategy because it is based so much in how certain they are. In how because I think everybody saying blow it up, rebuild. I think every single one of those people is saying, I don't know if blowing it up is gonna work. I just know this other one's not going to. Right. And and so say like if you compare a, a, a hypothetical blow it up scenario to what the Vikings actually do, um, it's kind of unfair either to yourself or to the Vikings. And instead, it's okay, I think, just to ju- to to grade it against how the Vikings actually perform. If they don't get 12 wins, we were right. I think it's like I, however you would have executed your blow up would have been just as valid as how I would have executed the blow up because we don't know how this is going to go. That's part of buying into uncertainty because we don't know where the floor is for a rebuild. We've seen the Lions and the Browns rebuild forever. And it's only very recently that the Browns even seemed to sort of get it. And they didn't even get it when they sort of got it. Right. Um, so I know that there's a floor, but I also know what the ceiling is and it's what the Bengals just did. Right. Like I know what the ceiling is to a rebuild. And and so I don't know where you end up when you blow it up and, and get back in. And maybe the Vikings internally, maybe they were like, well, next year's the year to blow it up because they have quarterbacks. And and if that's the reasoning, fine. And 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 I got and I got too caught up in my feelings about this year. But I don't think it is. I think that they thought that they could win a Super Bowl this year. And so if they don't get 12 wins, I think it's fair to say, hey, you should have blown it up. We were right. But that's where it gets weird because they made moves to say we can win a Super Bowl this year, but then they call it a competitive rebuild. And you're like, uh, what? So, I mean, that's, that's very much. Hey, head, draft very much, players. Right. We draft to players. That's right. a competitive rebuild. Right. We have young it's, players. To me, that's just hedging on. Don't yell at us if we win eight. I mean, that that's what that feels like because there was no rebuild. So it's just, uh, we told you it was going to take time. It's to be able to circle back and say, we said competitive rebuild. We didn't say we were winning the Super Bowl. And uh, to me, when all of your moves say that you can, then you can't hedge like that. Yeah, tr- um, trust what people do, not what they say. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the reason I agree with you on being able to just judge this uh, as it pertains to their success or failure is that, even if all the things we just laid out, even if they traded for Baker or they got Marcus Mariota and they drafted Jamison Williams and, and whatever number, you know, spent a bunch of draft picks on those other high positions. And like you said, I think it's actually a great idea. And the Chiefs do this to try to get former first rounders who may have busted and see if you get one right. Like Sammy Watkins worked out for some people, for yeah. example, like um, half the teams that he's played for it worked out. <laughs> If they were terrible and and Mariota was just a train wreck and everything else, then you draft at the top and get the top quarterback. And if that quarterback blows up, well, then you just had the worst luck, right? Like if if everything that if the the imagination land rebuild has to go wrong by just the worst luck of drafting a, a really good quarterback prospect who's way better than the ones this year, and that was the thing that took you down, but you did everything else right and you just had bad luck, okay, but. I mean, this team needs supreme luck to get to that 12 
wins. They need everybody to stay healthy. They need everybody to maximize the best versions of themselves. And even then, like they've done a lot of that in the last few years, even though they claimed bad luck, it's actually hard to find from last year. Right. Um, oh my gosh. The, the, the thing that's going to bother me for the, I know that this is going to come up a ton over the course of this offseason. It already has a little bit is the Vikings close games, right? How many close games they lost. And it's like, well, were the Vikings unlucky in close games? Like, I don't, I don't think they were particularly, like, they were basically 500, right? If I remember correctly, six and eight, but you also, uh, but you also lost the Cooper rush and the lions. <laughs> that's not luck. Right. Yeah. That's just, you shouldn't be in those close games. Right. And and so like, if they, if they like, and they're going to, but if that gets floated and they bring it up, it's like, Hey, we get a little bit better. We flip some of those close games. And it's like, what, this is the team that got into a close game with the Jared Goff Lions and the Cooper Rush Cowboys. Like the issue was that there were so many close games against bad teams, mm-hmm. right? It's nice that you got some close games against good teams. Maybe you should have closed some of those out, right? Maybe you should have beaten the Bengals and the Ravens, but like, no, um, you don't get credit for that. And so we're going to see a lot of that where, where they're going to talk about, um, you know, the bad luck that could have flipped and they're never going to talk about the good luck that went their way, including in some of the close games that they ended up winning. They, so, yeah, they also lost a close game where they scored seven points. Um, and they also lost a one score game technically to the Los Angeles Rams, but they yeah, got, very they got that. crushed that day. They got yeah. completely outplayed. So yeah, I mean, that one, the, the injury thing, again, we have numbers for this. They weren't one of the most injured teams last year. I mean, everyone right. has players get hurt in in the NFL. Oh, yeah, and, and people will talk about which players got hurt, and the more you list, the more it seems like, wow, you were uniquely unlucky. But we've got the numbers. I mean, I'm glad Football Outsiders does this every year where they do the adjusted games lost, and it's like, yeah, I mean, the Vikings were a lot more injured than most defenses, but, man, were they a lot healthier than most offenses? Are you sure that's going to keep up? Are right. you confident? Right. I mean, it was really Adam Thielen a couple of games, and that was the whole injury report. Yeah. Darisaw may have missed a couple at the end of the year, but I mean, that was and, it. And a little bit of Dalvin Cook, but you know, he, he forced himself to play when I don't know, maybe he shouldn't have, I guess. But that's like right. it, right? Right. Like, three play. Like you didn't, you didn't have like maybe Vikings fans remember 2015, 2016. They were signing offensive linemen off the street. I've never seen that in my life. Where Jake just Long, like, baby. Jake Long. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, your knees can hold up for like five games, right? Yeah one good fine come on you're in <laughs> you have no other options yeah. uh yes i'll never forget alex boone telling us all that he should play tackle because things were going that badly for tj clemmings at left tackle. I, I, I don't know how like alex boone says a lot of stuff i don't know how wrong he was on that one <laughs> i mean it, it truly could not have been worse what they yeah. had at the tackle <laughs> position that year and then uh, then they just they they adjusted their strategy fixed the tackles and left the interior to be terrible right. for five more years <laughs> <laughs> what a time uh arif uh well if people haven't checked out the uh, consensus board work that you have done um the athletic is where they can find your work everyone already knows you though so i don't have to tell them like where to find arif for gosh sake so uh but great to get together with you again man and we'll be doing a few more of these throughout the off season, just getting together, shooting the old breeze on the off season, but uh, very interesting perspective as always, man. And great to chat. Yeah, absolutely, man.